Good morning once again, and uh, thanks, Kath, for leading us in those prayers. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, welcome to those who are joining online for the, for the sermon. It's good to have you with us as well, and I hope you've been worshipping in preparation to, uh, to hear from God's Word today. So, it's exciting. It's exciting starting a new ministry, new people, new places, a whole new life to get to know. And one of the things that I've been really excited about is thinking, what, what are we going to start with together? What are we going to start with um, in, in, in looking at in God's Word? Because obviously the Bible's a big book. There's a lot in it. And it's, it's difficult sometimes to think, wow, where, where are we going to go? What's the next series going to be? And I felt really um, led to, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I love Ephesians. It's so rich in, in, in telling us how we should how we should live our lives personally, corporately, the example we should set to others, the the things we should guard against, guard our hearts against. It's full of instruction. It's such a helpful book to read in our faith lives. And I felt particularly called to to chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I thought to myself at the start of this week, right, I know where I'm going with this, I'm going to start off by, by reading Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to go through it, because it's such an exciting passage. It's such a, such a joyous passage to read, and it really sort of revs you up, and, and you, you, you're, sort of, you're almost waiting to be let loose on the world by the end of it. I thought, fantastic. And then I had one of those moments where you have to have a little reality check. I thought, hang on, it's a, it's a long chapter, and it's a communion service. And people are going to want feeding around midday at some point. I can't, I can't do the whole chapter. It will go on and on. So what we're going to do, what we're going to do is, today, we are going to do the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to consider the, the personal instruction that Paul gives. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to look at the middle chunk of Ephesians chapter 4 where there's more sort of corporate instruction, how, how our, our, the might of our combined personal devotion and personal learning can be brought together to form the church, the model of the church that Paul paints for us. And then, the following week, will be the final section of Ephesians chapter 4, where, having had the personal instruction, the corporate instruction, we then have, we, we've been equipped, and it's then Paul saying, right, now get out and do it. And so by the end of January, we would have, we would have walked through Ephesians chapter 4 together. And that's a really healthy thing for us to do, because as we, as we get to know each other, we will get to understand how we do church together. And that's a healthy way to start a new ministry. And it's a healthy way for a, for a church family to bond together. So, if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And today, I've restricted myself to the first six verses where Paul writes... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort 
to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So to begin with, let's just remind ourselves of the context of this letter. Paul has been to Ephesus. It's in modern-day Turkey. The ruins are still there to go and visit if, you, if um, we ever are allowed to travel freely again. Some of you may have been. And he's gone to Ephesus and he's planted a church there. And the church has, has succeeded. It's, it's taken off. But like with any organisation that is just finding its feet, as it grows, as new people come in, people who perhaps weren't exposed to the teachings of Paul, so different ways of doing things get suggested and introduced and, and church begins to be a little bit diluted and start to look a bit differently. And so Paul has, has gone off on Mediterranean missions and he finds himself in prison. Now, some people say that he was in prison in Ephesus. Others say that he was in prison in, in Jerusalem. Others say this was when he was in prison in Rome. We have no way of being absolutely certain, but what we do know without any doubt whatsoever is that he is in prison because he begins this very passage by, by telling us as a prisoner for the Lord. So he's not in prison for any crime he's committed. He is in prison because he refuses to stop travelling around confessing his faith in God and urging others to follow the way, to follow Jesus. But Paul being Paul, he doesn't sit in prison dwelling in self-pity. He doesn't sit there writing letters to lawyers or governors, petitioning for his release, or at least for a, a bigger cell. No. He spends his time in prison writing to churches, John Bunyan spent a lot of time in prison, and um, he once spent 12 years in prison, during which time he wrote many, many books, and he sent them out, and they were published, and they were shared with churches, and so while he was in prison, people's faith was nourished, and it grew, and um, I, was, I was reading about Bunyan this week, and I read that once he'd done a 12-year stint in prison, he was then released, and he went on a big preaching tour. And it was somewhere in Oxford, he was then re-arrested for preaching publicly without a license. And he was sentenced to six months in prison. And so um, his response to this, just after sentencing, he said, well, that's good news, I've been neglecting my writing recently. You see, he saw it as an opportunity to, to, to spend this time productively. And there's a lesson there. There's a lesson that we learn from Bunyan, but we also learn it from Paul. No matter how bad things are, if we look hard enough, God gives us opportunities to share his grace and to encourage fellow Christians. Paul is writing to this church to urge them to remember how God wants them to live. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
we all receive different callings in life. Some of us can be called to serve in a very obvious way, a minister, a missionary. Some of us are called to serve in more subtle ways. We might be called to be the best builder we can be and to share our faith when we're building. We might be the best IT technician we can be and to live a life that shows the values that the Bible teaches. We might be the best teacher influencing young lives. We might be the best carer making sure that we demonstrate the love of Jesus to people who are approaching the the end of their days. Whatever we do in life, we we know when we have a calling. Sometimes it's a calling that burns within us and we, we yearn to do something. Other times we just feel a sense of peace because we know that God is blessing us as we go about our work. Whatever you do, Monday to Friday, you're not just a Christian on a Sunday, you are a Christian for your life. And if you know that God's put a calling on your heart, then Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So there's an there's a instruction to be obedient to God. Paul says, from the word go, I urge you to be obedient to God. Follow his calling on your life. Don't kick against God's calling. Don't try and run away. We know what happens when we do that. You can't run away from God. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. When I was at Spurgeon's, there was, um, there was a couple of friends of mine who had shared a lift one morning. And um, this was just before the, the whole thing went cashless and when you could still put money in the pot. And uh, they'd got to the Dartford Bridge and they are running a bit late. And so they were, they were hoping to get through pretty quickly. Um, and apparently they were, they were sitting, in, sitting in the car and there was a, a car in front of them and the car got to the, the payment booth um, and, some, and, and my two friends were behind them and then someone pulled in behind them so they were just waiting. And the car in front apparently took forever. And the guy driving, driving my two fellow students to Spurgeon's, was sitting there getting more and more irate. Come on, we've got time for this. I just put the money in a basket. It's not difficult. Oh, what are you doing? Come on. You would think, you'd think, wouldn't you, that they'd have the £1.50 ready. It's not difficult, is it? Like I've got mine. Oh, come on, for goodness sake. And he's sitting there ranting and ranting and ranting. And then eventually the barrier opens. Hallelujah, well done. God, dear. Anyway, in his, in his annoyance, he then pulls up to the barrier, goes to put his money, his handful of change, into, into the basket, having forgotten, in his anger, to wind his window down. So, of course, his, his fist hits the window, the money drops, he's gone everywhere. Suddenly he's, oh no, what, what, where is it? And suddenly he's taking his seatbelt off, getting out of the car, there's bibbing, there's people saying, come on, mate, it's not difficult. If he just managed to keep his calm and patient demeanour, that bit of self-control then he would never have been so worked up. And that story would never have come to be. And it certainly would never have spread like wildfire amongst fellow students the second that they got to, got to college. But I'm rather glad it did, because it does teach us, doesn't it? It does teach us that no matter, no matter how holy we might think we are, 
we all have those moments where we drop our guard and our very human nature shows itself. But we must do our best. And we won't get it right all the time. Of course we won't. If we got it right all the time, we wouldn't need Jesus. And we all need Jesus. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's an interesting choice of words. Make every effort. When we come to faith, when we pray a prayer of confession, when we acknowledge that we need Jesus in our lives, we, we don't get made perfect immediately, do we? This bond of unity that Paul talks about, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. When we see people working in harmony together, when there is a unity, a true unity, it's a beautiful thing to see. But make no mistake, Paul is, not, it, it, Paul is very, very um, particular in the words that he chooses. Make every effort. We have to work at this. We have to work at this, and we see it all the time, don't we? There are churches that have been ripped apart because there isn't a spirit of unity being worked at. There are churches that really suffer. There are people that really suffer and get hurt, sometimes even turn away from faith because we miss the point that Paul makes here, that the spirit of unity is something. It's not something that just descends on us like a dove. It is something that we have to work hard and sometimes we have to work really hard because our human spirit means that we do get wound up occasionally. Sometimes things happen that don't please us and we think, well, hang on a second, I'm, I've been supporting this church for years and, and I disagree with this decision and it's hurt me and it's upset me because I want things done the way I want them. That's when you have to work really hard to achieve the spirit of unity. Paul is working hard, sitting in prison, writing letters to churches rather than trying to petition his own release. There must have been a, an initial temptation, the injustice of having been put in prison. Well, I want to be out. I want my freedom. But no. He doesn't want his freedom. He wants to use the opportunity that God has given him to teach, to share. He wants to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Peace is the key to all of this. It's no coincidence that when Jesus got baptised, as he came up out of the water, what was it that God gave him? What was it that descended on him? It was not the spirit of words of knowledge, so we could go out and debate and win every argument. It was not the passion of a warrior so we could go and take on the world. It was not the gift of absolute wisdom so that he could seamlessly wander through life and just make decision after decision and get everything right. What was it that fell on Jesus? It was the Spirit of God that descended like a dove. A dove is a symbol of peace. 
throughout Jesus' whole ministry, he had challenges, he had difficult situations. He was mocked, he was, he was slandered. He was hounded out of town by angry mobs. But he never once lost his peace. Now, of course, you might be thinking, oh, what about when he turned over the tables in the temple? That was a calculated act. He wanted to clear the temple, and the only language that the, that the traders and moneylenders would understand would be if he, if he physically prevented them doing business. That wasn't a loss of self-control. That wasn't a loss of peace. That wasn't anger boiling over and, and, and taking over. Jesus never lost that peace. And it wasn't just the gift that he received at his baptism. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's lining them up for his imminent departure. Again, peace is the gift that he gives to them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When people come through those doors, we want them to enter an atmosphere of peace. Because if we have an atmosphere of peace, then it shows that we are working hard to maintain the spirit of unity in the church. And church needs unity. It is not easy going out into the world and sharing the gospel with people. It is even harder now because of COVID than it's ever been. But Jesus gives us his peace. And boy, does the world need peace at the moment. We don't have to go very far back in history. Brexit tore the country apart. Suddenly you couldn't, you couldn't say the B word at a dinner party, could you? Because people got so irate about it and probably still do, but we just don't talk about it. Or COVID. COVID has, 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 has torn people apart. Some people, well, it doesn't exist. I don't believe in it. I'm not having a vaccine. No. Other people, oh my goodness, I've, I've just buried my, my, my parent or my spouse. I can't believe you're saying this. The division that COVID has caused is, is there. Look over in the States, and, and it wasn't that long ago before, uh, when, when Black Lives Matter was suddenly taking the world by storm. And don't get me wrong, that was, that's a good thing. It was a, it's social injustice and needs to be addressed. Equality is something that we should strive to, to, to see in our world. But we can strive for it without losing the peace of Jesus. We can strive for it without compromising the spirit of unity. And the church must be at the forefront of that. And us, we as individual Christians, must be at the forefront of that, striving to, to set the example not, not following the ways of the world, but instead demonstrating the ways of God. Taking the peace out there and demonstrating it. Whatever situation we find ourselves in. In John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, A new command I give you. A new command. Love one another. It's simple, isn't it? 
If only it was. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the hallmark that should show us to be Christian. Someone sees love in us being demonstrated, then it's the hallmark of Jesus on our heart, on our soul. If we truly love people, then whatever they do to to agitate us, to annoy us, then we don't lose that spirit of peace. We work hard to maintain unity. And that's got to start within the church. And I believe it already exists here. I'm not, I'm not preaching this message because I feel like I've walked into a church that is, that is a, a, a sort of a hotbed of, of, of anger and frustration or anything like that. I'm preaching this because I come into a church where I think that, I think that you demonstrate this. That's my, that's my first impression that these qualities are being demonstrated. But it is important that we start at the start as church. At the beginning of, of this new chapter for the church, for, for me, this is important that we, that we preach these things, that we study these things together, that we remind ourselves that whatever challenges might lie ahead, and the bigger and more successful that we get in spreading the gospel and doing God's work, there is one that does not want us to do it. And so we will hit challenges. There will be difficulties. But when we go through those times, we want to watch, look at each other and have a little high five and say, yeah, we've really riled him. It means we're doing God's work. We're doing the right thing. So the bond of peace is essential because the bond of peace is the product of the work that's gone into maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And that work is only put in if it's born out of love. And that, that is what binds a church together. When we talk about the church family, that is the essence right there. Paul goes on. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. We don't worship many, many gods. Don't get confused. If you're you're new to to the Christian faith and you're thinking, hang on, I thought there was three. Yeah, there is a trinity. God exists. God the Father. The heavenly or author of creation. Jesus the Son, the the living body of God who came down as a baby that we remember at Christmas, that walked on the earth, that, that taught us the way, how he wants us to live our lives, and then who died on the cross to take away our sin, and then who rose again and ascended to heaven, leaving his Holy Spirit for us. One God, one faith, one baptism. If anyone here is, is, is new to the Christian faith and, and doesn't know what we mean by baptism, it's following the example of Jesus. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry, he went to the River Jordan. He got, he got laid down into the water. He got brought back out. He was baptized. It was, a, it was a cleansing ritual. It signified new birth. And it pleased God because the Spirit of God descended upon him. And so if you're 
not sure what baptism is, then come and speak to me or one of the, one of the leadership in the church or, or friend, Christian friends and family that you know and ask questions. Wouldn't it be great to have this baptismal pool open? I haven't seen it yet, I can't wait. We can get it open, we can fill it up and heat it. And wouldn't it be great to have some baptisms? That'd be fantastic. If, you're, if you haven't been baptised and you'd like to know more, then please do ask We'd love to to walk with you through that journey and bring you through the waters of baptism. Paul makes absolutely clear. One God, one faith, one hope. We're about to sing a song and then we're going to share communion together. Communion is one of the two sacraments that we have, the other being baptism. For many people, they can take communion with the church family for many years and be very comfortable with it, but the idea of baptism is a little bit too far. But actually, baptism is the start of the, start of the journey. It's the start of our Christian walk. It's a significant moment at the beginning But it doesn't mean that we have to do them in that order. But if we choose to follow Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, then we follow his example. We take part in his sacraments and we do that underpinned by love, by peace and by the spirit of unity. So Chris is going to lead us now in in a song and as we sing we're going to prepare our hearts for what we're about to receive together so I can ask you to stand and then Chris will lead us
So before we come to share communion together, let's just prepare ourselves. Because God does not work according to the ways of the world. God works in very different ways. God is with us in our moments of triumph and our moments of tragedy as well. God never leaves us. I had an interesting experience just this morning, which I'll just share with you briefly. At about 8 o'clock this morning, Timothy and I had a moment of triumph. And it was a really weird moment of triumph. We were listening to the ashes England's playing against Australia in Australia at the moment, and it was the fifth day of the fourth test match. England are 3-0 down. The fourth test match, they've managed to grind out a draw. After five days of playing cricket, it's a draw. I know to some people that sounds like the dullest experience in the whole world, but Timothy and I, we had a little embrace, a little fist pump, yes! Because what that means is that England now can't lose 5-0. What a bizarre thing to celebrate. What a bizarre thing to call a victory. And yet it's nowhere near as bizarre as the Christian faith, which claims as its greatest moment of victory, the moment when the Son of God was crucified on a cross. It's a bizarre thing we do. But we do it because we know that it did not end there. We do it because we know that that was the beginning of the end. And there has been a new beginning. Jesus rose from the dead. And by doing so, He has opened up a channel for us to know intimately our Father God. And so we're going to pray now. And we're going to pray a prayer of confession. We're not praying out loud, don't worry. Just in our hearts, we confess to God that we are not perfect. He already knows that, but we are honest with God. We prepare ourselves to receive the communion sacrament. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what we are about to receive. Lord, we thank you for the part that we can claim of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. Father, we thank you for the reminder of the sacrifice that you made by sacrificing your son for us. We can't imagine what it cost you. We can't imagine the anguish that it must have brought you. But Father, we know that your motivation was love. Love for each and every one of us here today. Love for each and every person that has ever walked on this earth. Father, you love your people and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, Father. We thank you for what he did on the cross. We thank you that he he chose the cross for us. 
And so, Father, as we prepare to receive these elements, we confess our sin to you. We confess that we are fallen people. We confess that we are not yet made perfect. But we also confess that you are our God and that through the sacrifice of Jesus, one day we will be made perfect. And for that, Lord, we thank you. So, Father, bless these elements to our bodies. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And be with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. And so, giving thanks for what Jesus has done for us, let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. And so remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made and remembering that the motivation was love for you, for me, for everybody out there. Let us drink together with hearts full of gratitude. Father God, we thank you for what we have received. We thank you for the gift of communion. We thank you for sending your son into the world. And we thank you for the words that we have heard this morning, reminding us that your church is built on a foundation of love, a spirit of unity, and an atmosphere of peace.
And Father, we pray that whatever challenges might lie ahead, whatever you're going to call us to do together in this city, we will never lose sight of those values and that we will be bound together as closely as a family, the body of Christ with Jesus at the head. And in his name we say together, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. We're going to close our time together singing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
Father God, as we go out into the world, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us. We pray that we may be like beacons shining, reflecting your majesty and your glory. And we pray that your peace will be upon us. That your presence will be evident to those around us. And that we will be the best ambassadors for you that we can possibly be. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please sit down.